So I want to begin reading right there in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 5. Verse number 5. The Bible says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, and today, and forever. Be not carried away with diverse and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, and not with meats, which hath not profited them that have been occupied therein. Verse 10 says, We have an altar, whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp, outside the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate, outside of the city. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you this morning. And we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you meet with us in a special way. Lord, have your Holy Spirit just unite all of us together, Lord, as one man, as we worship you, as we bow our head in prayer, as we lift our voices in song, Lord, as we lift our hearts to you, help us to magnify you in truth and in spirit. Lord, we thank you for who you are this morning. We ask you to be with um, Sully and the Alexander family as they're still trying to go, uh, come here, Lord. We do give you the praise uh, again for who you are. I'm thankful, Lord, just to be here this morning. And Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you use me in a mighty way. Lord, help me to be surrendered completely to you and use this messenger to deliver your message. And Lord, and we thank you and we love you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you remember, um, before I left, we were traveling through the Old Testament. Um, I left to, um, to be a part to officiate the wedding of my daughter, and it was a, it was a unique thing. I don't, think, um, I don't think I can explain how the feelings I was uh, experienced there, but uh, she is married and um, somebody else has to pay her bills now, so I'm, <laughs> I'm very happy for that. But uh, before that, I was preaching through the Bible, uh, beginning with the book of Genesis, and I think we left off with Ezra and Nehemiah. You remember that? We stood to the Word of God and all those things like that, which we didn't do this morning. I meant to do that. And it is my goal to continue preaching through the Bible this year with sermons, uh, as, as, from many, as from many books, almost every book, if, if possible. But today we're going to pause that. And we're going to take this opportunity to preach from the book of Hebrews. Uh, the outline for this morning's sermon um, is in verses 15 and 16. But in an effort to convey what's in that context, that's the, reading I, that's the reason I, I read many verses prior to that. Because I want to lay that foundation, the same foundation that the author of Hebrews. We, we dare not take things out of context. You know, the Bible says in Psalm, I think it is, Psalm 14, 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. But if we were just to say, there is no God, we can actually say the Bible says there is no God, but it would be clearly out of context. That's a simple approach to that. But that idea 
is true. That concept is true. We need to make sure that we're preaching in context. So we, are, we want to lay that foundation. And I want to say that the last three words, I want you to look at that, verse 15. The last three words of verse 15 say, to his name. So in this context, you remember Hebrews is written to the, the Jewish Christians, and we will, we will revisit that many times, that, that statement, be reminded of that many times. But we are to clearly offer up our sacrifices to God. We are to magnify God. We are to make a lot about God, make, make a big deal about Jesus Christ, magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one of the reasons we exist as Christians is to glorify God, to, to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's kind of the, the title of this message this morning, to magnify His name, to magnify His name. Now, regardless of, regardless of what we take from this entire sermon this morning, even from this passage, there are many things to take from this passage, but I want you to also notice the end of verse 16. The Bible says, God is well pleased. God is well pleased. So whatever we take from this passage of Scripture, those four words should grab our attention to please God. We have a remedy or, or a recipe to please God. In doing these things, God is well pleased. Now, if you remember... If you put your, your thinking cap, as I used to hear a lot when I was in elementary school, God kind of broke the silence when the Lord was on this earth. God broke the silence of heaven with, ver with words very similar to these words when our Lord and Savior was baptized. Y'all remember that? The, the heavens parted. God spoke out of heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And Isaiah 53 verse 10 states that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. That's speaking of the cross. It pleased God to, to, to crucify his only son for our redemption. So I say all that to say this. We can be certain that God is pleased with Jesus Christ. He is pleased with Jesus Christ. He's pleased with him at the baptism. He was pleased with him at the resurrection and even at the ascension. So without a doubt, again, God the Father is pleased with God the Son. God is well pleased with our Savior. But here we learn in the text that God can also be well-pleased with us. That should excite us. That, that should be like, if we see a passage in here that says, you can do this and you can please God, that should, that should speak to our hearts. We can please God. Now, to be clear, on our own, we have nothing to offer God. Nothing to offer God on our own that would please Him. The very best of us of all time, have nothing to offer God without salvation through Jesus Christ. That's important to understand. Because of our sinful depravity, redemption must come before pleasing. We cannot please God if we're not redeemed. Hebrews 11.6 even says to us who are redeemed, without faith it's impossible to please Him. Therefore, the first foundation that must be laid for today's sermon, or really any sermon, is that of Jesus Christ. For there is no other greater foundation. In other words, to put it plainly, we must be in Christ to please Him. We must be a believer in Jesus Christ. There must be a time in your life when you repented of yourself, when you repented of your sin and trusted in the Savior completely for the salvation of sins, for eternal life, for redemption. 
Romans 10, 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Y'all know that I like that verse. It's simple. It's clear. You do this, this happens. You shall be saved. Roman, or John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The Son of God became the Son of Man, so the sons of men can become sons of God. Pleasing God, therefore, begins with salvation, and salvation begins with believing in and receiving Jesus Christ. Do you know him this morning? Is he your personal Savior? If he's not, know that he is available to every single person. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever, that means everybody. It doesn't say for some people. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Want to please God? Call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. So yes, God is well pleased with His Son and our Savior Jesus Christ, but He is also well pleased with our salvation. God is well pleased with our salvation. But let's be honest here, and to be true to this passage, salvation is kind of a given. It's, he doesn't speak directly about being saved. It's a given to those who, whom he is writing to. The book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew Christians, to those who were in Judaism and that are now saved. Now, it's, we can apply it to us. It's written for all, but to them. It was written to those who followed what true Judaism pointed to. And the, the author here argues that a spiritual life in Christ is greater far greater than any physical life filled with rituals and ceremonies. That's true even today, not even speaking of Judaism. You see, speaking of Judaism, from the very beginning, the goal was never to serve or magnify the temple. It was never the goal. They didn't want to magnify the temple. Look at verse 10. We'll come back to this again. But it says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve God? The temple. They serve the tabernacle. Again, from the very beginning, the goal was not to magnify the temple, not to magnify the Holy of Holies. The goal was to magnify the God of the temple, the God of the Holy of Holies. And many Jews, of course, got that right. But to many Hebrews that are now sa saved, that temple, with all the rituals, all the, the ceremonies, it was a strong pull back into Judaism. And in fact, many of the Jews... Um, purposely were evangelized Christian Jews to bring them back under the bondage of the law. The book of Galatians speaks of this. And it was a very real pull. It was their nature. It was a strong pull back into that life. It was an all-too-familiar appeal. And the author of Hebrews, in the whole context of the book of Hebrews, he charges these Jewish Christians to recognize Judaism for what it truly is. And it is a sacrificial labor of love that points to the true sacrifice, Jesus Christ. That's what Judaism is. And while our sin was completely paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross, after that pattern, the pattern of the cross, God calls upon us, very clear here in the text and other passages, God calls upon us for a greater sacrifice than that of bulls, and goats, and lambs, and all those things, greater than all the blood of the sacrifices. What is this sacrifice? Us. You and me. 
Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Sacrifice. We are to magnify His name. Well, let me rephrase that. If we are to magnify His name, as verse 15 tells us, to offer sacrifice and praise and to do good and to communicate, as verse 16 talks about, if we want to do those things, it begins with Jesus Christ. It begins with the offering of ourselves. Even as Christians, we need to be sacrificed to God. And with this passage in mind, one commentator um, wrote that we are to offer the sacrifice of our person, our praise, and our possessions. But to stay in context, so to speak, with Hebrews, verses 15, with, specifically with verses 15 and 16, we can easily see here, I want you to see this in the text, that we are to magnify Jesus Christ with the sacrifice of our praise, right there in verse 15, verse 16, to do good of our practice and, our, and to communicate to forget not. That's communicating what we have, what we own, and we'll come back to that, our possessions. And if we do such things, there is something that you as an individual, as, as a man, remember that passage in the Old Testament, what is man that thou art mindful of him? What, to God, we can say, why are you mindful of me? But in this passage, if we do these things, we can please that God. We can give something to the God who has it all. Pleasure. We can please God. And that should speak to our hearts. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. What a passage. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Now for the record, I am not here talking about killing anything except maybe the old man within us, but it is the letting go of things dear to us and giving them to He who is dearest to us. But before we delve or dive into what we are to sacrifice in accordance with verses 15 and 16, we must have a necessity. We, must, we need something. If we're going to offer a sacrifice, what do you offer sacrifices upon? An altar. So we need an altar. Remember, this is written to Jewish Christians. And in contrast to the altar, these new Jewish believers would have known, that old Jewish altar, that altar was not theirs anymore. The Holy of Holies, the temple, all of those sacrifices that, that the, the, book of Mo, or the, the five books of Moses talk about, they're, they're not for the Christian anymore. In fact, they were not even permitted to go into the Holy of Holies anymore. They were not permitted to go into the temple or the synagogue or anywhere near. The, the Jews didn't want the Christians anywhere around there. They weren't allowed in the temple. And nor would it make sense for a Christian to make such sacrifices anymore anyway. But I think what the author of Hebrews is trying to convey to us this morning is that it's not that the Jewish altar is prohibited to Christians, but that we have a greater altar. We have a greater altar that they cannot come to. They're, not, they're prohibiting Christians from coming to the Jewish altar to an obsolete sacrifice, an obsolete religion, and we have an altar that they can't attend to. We have a greater altar. The author of Hebrews wrote in verse 10 that we have an altar where have, whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. And while there is much more, much, much more to this passage, I'd like to point out that the difference between these two altars, 
is significant. The difference between these two altars cannot be overemphasized. You see, that Old Testament altar was stained with the blood of bulls and goats. But our altar, our altar, that, that old rugged cross is, bore the blood of the very Son of God. The sacrifice that laid upon our altar is not dead, nor was it burned to ashes, nor was it left to corruption. Our sacrifice lives. Jesus lives. Can I get an amen for that? We, we serve a risen Savior. And as verse 10 states, the cross cannot be approached the same way the priest served in the tabernacle through rituals, ceremonies, and sacrifices. We cannot approach Jesus Christ through rituals, through ceremonies, or sacrifices, or any good work. We only come through His sacrifice. We cannot come to Christ through ours. It must be His. There is no amount of good works that can bring us to the cross. These, these priests here, we look at that and maybe it comes across as a, as a hard statement. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat. The reason they have no right to eat is because they're coming with their own sacrifices to earn that favor, to earn that well-pleasing from God, but they can't come to the altar of Jesus Christ with their own sacrifices. We must come under the blood of Jesus Christ. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and then not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Our sacrifices are not to add to His sacrifice, nor are they in lieu of His sacrifice, but they are because of His sacrifices. That's what Hebrews is talking about here. We're to do these things, to sacrifice some things in our life because of His sacrifice. Not to add anything, but because we love Him. Notice the middle phrase of verse number 9. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, with grace and not with meats, not with rituals, not with anything else, but with grace, that grace that was given by Jesus Christ. So we have an altar, and that altar is Jesus Christ. If our kids want to pop out, they can. So we have an altar, and that altar is Jesus Christ. We live for Him. And we'll pause here for a moment while the, while the kids take off if they want to. So again, we have an altar. He is an altar. We live for Him. We die for Him. He is our Lord. He is our Master. He is our Savior. And it is to Him. This is all kind of a long introduction to verses 15 and 16. We're going to make some sacrifices. The author of Hebrews charges us and challenges us to make sacrifices, but not to add anything to His sacrifice, but because of His sacrifice. It is to Him that we are to live out verses 15 and 16. And with that said, look at verse number 15 again. Number one this morning, we are to magnify His name with the sacrifice of our praise. Of our praise. Now verse 15 is a unique verse, I think. And one of the passages, passages that came to mind when I was reading this was verse 6 of Proverbs chapter 3. The Bible says, In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. The phrase here in context, giving thanks to his name, of course means, just like it sounds, we're to give thanks to the name of Jesus Christ. But it also carries with it the idea that we are to simply acknowledge God, like Proverbs 3, 6 speaks of. We are to acknowledge God in all that we do. I personally believe that verse 6 there in Proverbs, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths, they're connected. 
The more we acknowledge, the more he directs. The less we acknowledge, the less he directs. We are to acknowledge him in all that we do. But in context here in Hebrews 13, that word, the word praise also carries with it the idea of giving a thank offering, to be thankful. But again, this is not some animal sacrifice to earn something. It's a thank offering. It is the fruit of our lips specifically. It's worship. It's the sacrifice of worship. One of the ways we uh, define worship is, to, is the bowing of our will to His. We are to worship the Lord Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. We are to praise God continually, acknowledge Him continually, give thanks to Him continually. We are to magnify His name with the fruit of our lips to praise God. Now, it may seem strange. I think maybe, maybe you picked up on this. It may seem strange for many modern-day Christians for us even from time to time, for God to consider our praise sacrifice, to consider this, what we're doing here this morning, sacrifice. But I will tell you that it wasn't strange for a first century Jew. It wasn't strange for a first century Christian who used to be a Jew. We'll come back to us in a moment, but for the Jew who converted to Christianity, not only was he not allowed in the temple anymore, many times... His family would disown him for being a Christian. If you remember, we had a, a, a missionary here going to Israel not too long ago. Uh, come here and he preached and he, he gave his, um, uh, his ministry to us. He uh, demonstrated his ministry here. And one of the things that he told me while uh, we were chatting one time over a meal, he said that when a Jew accepts Christ as their Savior, the family, the mom and dad, they hold a funeral. They, a literal, full-blown Jewish funeral for the person who accepts Christ. That happens even today. So there's some cost for these Jewish Christians to worship Jesus Christ, to give Him the sacrifice of praise. They would disown Him. And they would do their best to press on as if He were truly dead. For the Jew to worship, for the Jew to worship or give thanks in the name of Jesus Christ was indeed a great sacrifice. And quite frankly, it's not surprising. Verse 12 again says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Why did he suffer without the gate? They kicked him out. They didn't want him to suffer anything. I mean, it was a part of the scriptures. I, I understand all that. But he was rejected. The Jews rejected Jesus Christ. How could they not reject those who also followed Jesus Christ? To the Jews, he was worth, Jesus was worth less than the sacrificed animals. And he was certainly not welcome in their temple. He was rejected by the very people he came to save. Verse 11 says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. So the first century Jewish Christian knew exactly what the author of Hebrews was writing about. And when he was reading this, he's understanding that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And I have this author here telling me, encouraging me, to continue to offer up these sacrifices. Praising God in the name of Jesus costs them something. It costs something. It should cost us something. In 1 Chronicles 21-24, David wrote, I will not offer burnt offerings without cost. And while we offer the sacrifice of praise this morning, not burnt offerings, sacrifice costs something. What does it cost us? Did it cost us anything to come here today? Now, we live in a country where we have the freedom of worship. But do your friends and your family, do they know you're coming here to worship a risen Savior? Or do we like, 
know, hey, what are you going to do on Sunday? Oh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not available on Sunday. Or do we tell them I'm going to go worship a risen Savior? Make it cost something. What does it cost us? What are we willing to pay in order to praise God continually with the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name? You know, I'm for singing this morning, of course. I love the old hymns, but our praise and worship, our giving of thanks here must go beyond these walls. It must go beyond the church. It should cost something. My challenge, God's challenge to us, I believe, and even to me, choose to acknowledge God publicly more often. Now, I've got to be honest. Living for God, I won't say it's easier, but it's different for me as a pastor than I think it is for you. I was in the military for a couple of years. I know what it's like to be around those individuals who are opposing to Christianity, but still make it a point to choose to worship God. Make it a point to magnify His name and make it cost something. I'm not saying be a martyr on purpose, but don't be ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praising God among like-minded people is one thing. Choosing to praise God when it might cost something is, is another. But as we read here, what is it, what is it to God? Well, pleasing. When we choose to praise God, even outside of these walls, it's well-pleasing to God. It's well-pleasing. You know, anytime we sacrifice something for the name of Jesus, it's well-pleasing to God. Well-pleasing. And then look at verse number 15 again. We'll read it together with verse 16. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So we first magnify His name with the sacrifice of our praises and then with the sacrifice of our practice, how we live to God. Not just before man, and we'll come back to that, but before God. How do we live before God? One way, I think, to apply this verse is to never miss an opportunity to do something that brings glory to God. Never miss an opportunity to do something that brings glory to God, which is good logic, but I think this verse may go even a little deeper than that. Because the Bible says that we are not to forget about doing good. We are not to forget about doing good. We are, not to, we are not to forget to let good works or our reason for good works escape us. God's people should be good people. Ephesians 2.10 states that we are His workmanship. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are created in Christ when we are saved to actually perform good works. That's what we're supposed to do, to do good works. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Now it should go, again, without being said, but we do not perform good works for salvation to earn grace. I think we already hit that, but I'm going to hit it again. Paul, Paul wrote in Romans 11:6, if speaking of salvation, if by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. It's either all works or all grace. And we can't get to heaven on works, so it better be all grace. We must trust completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is not, salvation is not, nor can it be earned. And because our salvation is by grace, then it can't be by works. It can't be earned. So why should we be concerned about living and doing right? If we can't earn salvation, what, what's the big deal, right? If we're saved, we know we're saved, why should we 
live for the Lord. You can ask the same of every husband and wife. Why do they live for each other if they know they're married? But we should do these things because we love Him. And in, in addition to that, it pleases God. It pleases God to do good and to communicate. Forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Personally, I think this passage is very interesting. In other places, in Galatians 6, 9, the Bible tells us to not be weary in well-doing, to not get tired of doing good. But here he says, don't forget about doing good. And while there are a few theories on why people forget things, we all forget things. Some of those are stress-induced. Some of those have to do with exhaustion because we're tired. Some of those are because we're simply just old. We just forget things. But I don't think that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about here. In modern studies, there is what some call selective memory. It's one of the reasons why we don't uh, remember everything. Now, selective memory is not a bad thing, like selective listening, which I've been accused of by my wife. I'm just kidding. I hear some, uh-oh, <laughs> selective listening. Many husbands have been accused of that. But selective memory, on the other hand, it's the idea that our minds choose what to remember, either on purpose or not on purpose, because we simply can't remember everything, which is our defense to being accused of selective listening. But seriously, because we can't remember everything, we choose to remember, again, on purpose or automatically with our subconscious, we choose to remember what is important to us and what is relevant to us. As Christians, we are very clearly and very obviously to choose to remember to do good, according to this passage, because it is important to us. Now think about the practical application here. Think about the takeaway from this passage. What usually costs or what usually occurs for something of importance in our mind to be, to be moved from the remember list to the I forgot list. There's many things probably, but generally speaking, when it comes to things that we kind of say that are important, something more important comes along and pushes that what we consider important to the forgetting list. I hope that application comes through. So do not let good doing good, as he says here, to do good Forget not. Do not let doing good fall off our remember list. Do not fill our lives with things that push down obedience to Christ to the bottom list. Do not fill our lives with things that we deem more important than God. That's how we forget things that, we used, that used to be important to us. We fill it with things that are new important to us, not necessarily more important in life, but more important to us. So don't get so busy. This is... This is me. I will tell you that on, while I was gone for those three Sundays, doing devotions and walking with the Lord is very difficult when you're not in your element, right? Some of, these, some of you soldiers have been to foreign places. We've been traveling before. Many of us have traveled before, if not all of us. And when you're outside of your, your element, if you will, you're outside of your routine of getting up, grabbing the Bible, grabbing a cup of coffee, hitting prayer, and all these things, you have a, a routine. Not that it's a routine with God, but you have a system and you make time. You make an appointment with God, if you will. But when you're outside of that, it's difficult. And we let things come into our lives. We get so busy that we forget about serving God. And those things that are important to us are filled with other things. And now what's important that was on the remember list has fallen to I forgot list. 
I forgot. You know, when we forget to pray or read our Bibles or forget to give God glory, it's easier the second day to forget to read our Bibles, to give God glory, and to pray. And the third day becomes even more easier and easier. And before you know it, you're just so far from God, you wonder how you got there. Make it a point to remember what's important to God. Do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. A simple concept, a concept indeed, but if done, it's a sacrifice well-pleasing to God, and we should want to please God. And then lastly, look at verse 16 again. Do good and to communicate, forget not. So we looked at by our praise, the sacrifice of our praise, and our practice, and then lastly this morning with the sacrifice of our possessions, of our possessions. You know, the word used for communicate means a whole lot more than just words. It means a whole lot more than just our normal communication, like picking up a phone or, or a hand mic or something like that. It's, it's all kinds of communication. How you speak to other people, whether it's body language, verbal, giving or not giving, it's more than words. And this word here in the Greek specifically has a type of communication that meets a need. It's a communication of giving. And what goes for not forgetting our good works before God also goes for not forgetting our good works before men. We are to share what we have with others. We're to be a giving people. We're to be a giving people. But this word is also connected to partnering with another, uh, with communicating ourselves as friendly to other people, even those who may or may not know Jesus Christ. And one takeaway is that we are to associate ourselves with others in such a way that when we communicate a life of truth to them, they want to hear it because they know our hearts. Does that make sense? We, we become friends. Luke, I think, 16 talks about that we're supposed to be with our money, be, have, use our money to make friends with others so that we can tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in the parable of the unjust steward. But probably in this passage here, the most practical application of this verse today to me, to our lives, is that we should communicate our love for others through the sacrifice of our possessions, of our possessions, to give away what God's given us. I'm convinced in my life that a portion of what God has blessed me with materially is 100% for the purpose of blessing somebody else. 100%. I think that's a given. So if God were to bless me, say I make $100 a week and God blesses me with $120 a week and my mind, that $20 is supposed to be passed on, if I give that $20 away to be a blessing to somebody else, that's not really sacrifice because God gave it to me so I can give it to somebody anyway. That's a given. It's not a sacrifice. It didn't cost me anything. Giving something away that is not yours or giving something away that has no cost to us is not sacrifice. That's duty. It's obligation. And Christ here is clearly our example in all things. But, you know, there are some things, we hear that a lot, right? Jesus is our example. And we live our lives trying to figure out in a certain scenario that we're in, how is Christ my example? And we kind of figure out, we look and study his life and try to figure out what that example is to us. But in this area of giving, it's crystal clear. It's crystal clear. We can certainly see it in the giving of self when he gave his life on the cross. Speaking of his own life, Jesus said in John 10, 18, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Jesus freely gave his life. 
And Hebrews 12, 2 states that He did so with joy. Christ is our sacrifice. He is our all. And while we were yet sinners, He died for us. And to follow Him is to live a sacrificial life of giving. Never forget to communicate what we have in Christ to others. Never forget to communicate the gospel. Never forget to communicate our possessions. With such sacrifice, God is well-pleasing. The Apostle John made it a little bolder. He said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Friends, believe it or not, regardless of what the recipient does with what we are, what we have given, we magnify Jesus Christ when we sacrifice our possessions to others. I think it's a true statement to say when we give of self, not just what we're expected to give, but we go beyond and we sacrifice something and it costs us something, we are, there's fewer, how do you say that? We are never more like Christ maybe when we're giving of self and what we own to ourselves, never more like Christ. And it doesn't matter what the recipient says or what he does with that, fund, if, uh, that funds. If God gives us a, a burden and we give, that's what matters. We are to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ with the sacrifice of our possessions. You know, to magnify means to make bigger, to make Him big, to make God big in our lives. And since God doesn't change, the only way for us to make God bigger is to get closer to Him, to draw closer to Jesus Christ. We are to magnify Him with our praise, with our practice, and our possessions with the sacrifice of our praise, practice, and possessions. And if we do such things as Christians, and only as Christians, there is something that we can give to the God who has it all. We can please God. That should mean something to every believer, to please God. To know that I can be down here on earth and put a smile upon my Creator's face, that means something. That means something. We can please God. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. May our lives, may your life and my life, may all that we do as individuals, as families, as a church, magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's magnify His name. And let's go to Him this morning in prayer.